Be ready for everything and anything. Every good player has the ability to slow the game down. It doesn't matter what just happened, it's what you're gonna do next. Zone on three! One, two, three, zone! This episode is brought to you by Smushball, the official training ball of Zone Sports Academy. How many times do you go to a game and there's no batting cages, no nets, and you only have a field to hit into? No problem. Smush balls are excellent because you can use them for hitting, fielding, catching, blocking, throwing, and much more. Smush balls are the perfect practice ball to use indoors or outdoors, in rain or cold conditions, against fences, nets, and even in basements. We love them for all ages and skill levels. Smush balls, the pliable ball that you can count on. Welcome to the Get Zoned In podcast for coaches looking to improve their skills and knowledge both on and off the field. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, this podcast is for you. We'll be exploring a variety of topics that are relevant and important to baseball and softball coaches, but this advice can be used for all sports and skill levels. Join us as we dive into the world of coaching and learn from some of the best in the business. Whether you're looking to improve your team's performance or just want to make a positive impact on your players, we've got you covered. Let's go and let's play ball. Hello everyone, Duke Baxter here with Steve Nickerack, and we are excited for another episode of the Get Zoned In podcast. The last episode, we spoke about what makes a successful coach. We talked about creating a yes, yes, no mentality in your hitters, and we also explained the famous eraser ball for your team practice. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the questions we were asked in our coaches clinic that sparked our interest. Coach Steve's going to take us through them. Yeah, we had an awesome coaches clinic this last Saturday. Again, one of those one of those days we look forward to all, all year long. We had over 120 coaches in attendance. Um, we did a two hour clinic, very hands on, and then we finished with a with a Q and A session for about an hour. And three that really stood out to us, um, you know, we're going to dive into today. So number one is going to be coaches know your role. Number two is going to be replacement words. What kind of words can we use instead of the typical things we like to say on the baseball field? And then number three, are what are some ways to build camaraderie and team culture with new players or a new team each year? So we're going to jump right into coaches knowing your role. Our, our first one, again, a great question from one of our coaches or from our coaches clinic this past weekend, and and really the question was, you know, how do I handle having so many voices in the dugout? Right, coach, or kids get confused. You've got a lot of coaches yelling either the same thing or contradicting themselves in the dugout. So, you know, the way Duke and I had answered it was, you know, almost assigning your coaches a job prior to the game. So whether it's preseason or pregame, getting down with your coaches and you know trying to identify what they do best. You know, figure out you know who specializes in what areas of the game, and then almost assigning jobs throughout the game. So that coaches only have to focus on one thing instead of trying to control everything all at once. So, you know, I, I wrote down an example of it. And it would be, you know, myself, Coach Duke, and Coach Anthony coaching the team. Coach Duke, he's going to be working with the pitchers and catchers. So he's calling pitches. He's communicating with pitchers' adjustments in-game. You know, he might be having working with the, uh, with the coach-umpire, catcher-umpire relationship. He's kind of managing that whole segment. Myself, I'd be working with the defense. So my job on, as, as the coach that's worried about the defense is to work on the alignment, 
work on situations. It might be bunt defense. It might be first and third defense, cuts and relays, communication. And then Coach Anthony is going to work with the hitters. So he might be working on approach that day, might be working on adjustments, on timing. And uh, I think what it does is it simplifies, it simplifies the whole game. This way, me as the manager, I'm not trying to run the offense and the defense and call pitches. Everybody's got a certain task to do. It simplifies it. And then uh, you don't run into the situation where you've got three coaches yelling three different things from the dugout. One of my favorite examples, and, and this was a story that I heard from Duke, and I told the coach this at the clinic, was there was a ground ball to second base with runners on first and second. And you had the mom and dad yelling from the stands, get one. You had the other coach yelling three. And then the kids on the field were yelling two, two, two. And the kid just caught it and froze. And he didn't throw it anywhere. And all three runners were safe. So in that situation, any of those plays could have been correct. Right? You, you could have gotten the force out at third. You could have turned two up the middle. Or maybe it was a slow hit ball and we could have got, got the out at first. But the kid panicked. There was way too many voices going on at once. And he didn't do anything. So you know, I just think uh, you know, knowing your role, talking to your staff ahead of time, identifying what those coaches are good at or feel most comfortable with, and assigning them before the game is just going to clear up a lot of that confusion. You know, I even put down here on my sheet, you know, talking about holding regular meetings, right? Hold regular meetings between the coaches so they can stay on the same page, ensure that everyone's working towards the same goals. And meetings can be used to discuss practice plans, game strategies, and other issues that need to be addressed because a lot of times on these teams, each coach has a player that's their son on that team. So it's easy to kind of... Some coaches, they, to get out of the, the realm of, oh, man, this isn't a player. No, it's my son, and my son wants to do this. Or last night my wife was yelling at me because my son didn't get to play enough third base, and, and now we're easily, we're kind of all over the place now with our thoughts. So having team meetings regularly can be like, hey, how do we do today? What do we want to do next week? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? So that way the coaches continue to stay on the same page. So... You know, on our, on our team, we have the exact same thing. We have an infield coach. He only handles the infield. We have an outfield coach. We have a bench coach. And what that bench coach does is he talks about which batters are up next. So he kind of keeps everybody in line. He also warms up the pitcher that's going into the game next. And then we have our game guy that's in the dugout that just is looking to figure out who's going to play where, you know, and kind of manage it, manages it that way. So all four coaches have a job. They know what that is. And nobody really steps on each other's toes. So I think knowing your role and managing that is, is something that a lot of coaches don't talk about or they don't know how to do. Remember, Coach Brian was uh, in our Done With You program, and he was talking about how he met with Coach Steve and I. We designed this awesome practice plan. He was so fired up. He goes to practice, and all the coaches are like, ah, we don't need that. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? And he said, after a few weeks, though, of – them seeing how much he bought in to what we were doing and how much he bought into wanting to be a better coach, they all started buying in more. And he's like, by week four or five, he said it was really awesome. Everybody took on a cool role. He was the leader of the, you know, of the ship, and it, was, it, it really worked out well. And he, had a, he really turned his whole season around. They went from being 0-8 to like 13-12. and 12. They had a winning season. I think they even won one championship at the end. So it was, you know, it, it's real easy to... You know, if you don't reel them in early, you're just going to have chaos. And, you know, those alpha dogs are going to be the ones that just run everything, whether they're, you know, the leader or not. So I think that's, uh, you know, really important. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't mean we can't kind of cross paths a little bit. If, if I may see something that, you know, a hitter's struggling with, we can make that adjustment in between innings. But it really just simplifies 
having all of the coaches yelling at the same kid for the same situation during that same play. And I see it all the time. You know, pitcher struggling to throw strikes. His dad's yelling, throw the ball down the middle. Then you got a coach telling him to stay back. The other coach is telling him to finish, get his arm up. And it's like, you know, we're coaching robots out there instead of, uh, you know, maybe just hearing one voice and keeping it simple that way. But, uh, yeah, coaches know your role. I think that was awesome. Number two for today is going to be replacement words, and I'm going to let Duke dive into that one. When we're talking about replacement words, we have that on our mental conditioning and mental performance course on Dominate the Diamond, and a lot of it is talking to the coaches about how to communicate with their players in a different way, in a better way. So as an example, instead of saying, don't strike out, when Johnny's at the plate and he's got, a, you know, he's got an 0-2 count and you see the dad sitting on the bucket and he's like, don't strike out, instead say, hit the ball hard, make good contact. You're telling them what to do, not what not to do, because the brain doesn't process the, the don'ts. It just processes the do's. So the last thing you want to tell a pitcher when he's pitching is don't spike the ball or don't throw it in the dirt. You want to say, look at the glove. Have a free, you know, have a free feel. Let's go. Hit, you know, pound that mitt. So instead of saying, oh, you messed up, instead say, let's try that again and make some adjustments. Right? You're giving the positive, the positive feels and the positive feedbacks to the athlete, not just the negative ones. Instead of saying, you're not a good pitcher, how about let's work on improving your pitching? Let's improve on your hitting. Not, ah, that was a bad at-bat. Well, what was bad about the at-bat? Maybe he swung at a, he took a fastball right down the middle, he swung at a ball in the dirt for strike two, and then the umpire called strike three. Well, what was bad about the at-bat? Well, he swung at a bad pitch on the first strike, but maybe instead you say, ah, man, that first pitch was, was a pretty good one. Let's attack that first pitch next time. So you just took a, a strikeout and you just turned it into, hey, what can he do to improve? Because we see that all the time at zone. You have a kid that comes in for a lesson and I'm like, how'd the weekend go? Well, I went 0 for 2 and my coach just kept on saying the same thing. I'm like, okay, well, what did, he, what did he mean by that? And she's like, I have no idea. Or he's like, I have no idea. And it's like, okay, so they walked, they came in after a weekend that wasn't all that hot and they have no idea how to fix it, and they're just frustrated. So then you're talking through it, and they're like, oh, that's what they meant, or oh, that's what I need to do, and then the smile goes back on them, and they, and, you know, and they attack the week, and then they have a great weekend. It's like, so as a coach, we need to communicate better with the positives, and I'm not saying say everything positive. I'm just saying, you know, instead of saying we can't win this game, say, hey, let's stay positive and keep fighting until the end. Let's win each inning. Well, that's better than, well, we're going to lose anyway. We're, we're down seven. Well, well, who wants to play for a coach that is just negative and can't find the good in anything? So I think those are some really good replacement words, coaches. When you're at third base and you're, you, you see a, uh, your hitter down 0-2, let's go. You, he, you want him or her to look down the third baseline and see a coach that believes in them and knows they're going to get a hit. Not, oh, they take their hat off, or you're staring at the ground, or you're putting your hands in the air, you're turning around, and so their back's towards you. Like, you're the one that they have to be able to, they want to know that you trust them, that you're going to get this hit. Okay, it's 0-2. Let's go, buddy. Choke up. Let's, let's hit a rocket somewhere. Okay. Your hitter's got a much better chance of hitting a rocket 
that if your hands are in the air, your hat's off, you're throwing your clipboard on the floor, like, <laughs> and we see that all the time. It's so I think that the replacement words are, you know, something cool to talk about and for you to think about when you are coaching. Are you saying a lot of, oh man, don't do this. You can't do that. Even when we're hitting in the cage, we don't say don't hit ground balls. You know, we say smoke line drives to the back of the screen. Okay, we're going to hit line drives into the top of the L screen. That's what we want you to do. Let your brain and your body figure it out. Not, uh, don't roll over it. Uh, don't roll over another one. You know, so constantly saying what to do and not what not to do. You know, I say it every single week in the podcast, but it's a game of failure. Baseball and softball are games of failure. So you, you know your kids are going to fail. You know they're going to struggle a little bit. You know, they're going to go through highs and lows, peaks and valleys. So I love to, I mean, during the games, I love to say, so what next pitch? Because you're going to swing and miss. You're going to chase a pitch in the dirt. You know, you're going to strike out on a, on a called, called third strike looking. You're going to walk a guy. Like, those errors happen. Things happen throughout the game where, uh, you know, we have to try to stay as optimistic as possible. You know, like, like Duke said in the last point there, um, you know, to pump those kids with confidence. And, you know, not just replacement words, but I think, um, you know, not trying to cookie cut it so that every kid is coached the same exact way. You're dealing with a bunch of individuals with, you know, different levels of competitiveness and, you know, different emotional levels. Some kids can handle it and some kids can't. You know, I've got guys on my team that I can flat out get on in front of the team and they respond like that. They might be a football player. They might be just a little bit tougher. Then I've got kids I got to put my arm around them in between innings and coddle them a little bit, make them feel good. But also, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one environment, I can criticize and let them know what he did wrong. Here are some adjustments. But out in the open, if I tried to do that in front of everybody, they'd get, ner they'd get nervous and go into a shell. So understanding that you're dealing with a whole different, uh, you know, variety of, of not just relationships with the player, but attitudes and, and energy and excitement. Like, you know, kids are different, so we've got to be able to coach them different. You know, and then using words like, you know, coaches fall in love with get your foot down early, get your hands up. You know, and I find them saying the same thing to every single kid, but not every kid needs to hear the same thing. So for some kids, it might be, Instead of get your foot down early, it might be, hey, let's start a little earlier. Or, you know, things like that. So finding just a variety of ways to teach the same thing is only going to make you better as a coach. Because like I said, everybody's different and we've got to be able to, uh, you know, adapt and mold to those kids, you know, on, on a weekly basis. Point number three for today, and, and this is an awesome one, is another question we got from our coaches clinic. How do we build camaraderie and team culture with new players or a new team each year. And this coach actually got a new group of players every single year. He had 12 new kids, and he's trying to figure out, like, how can I build my team culture? How can I get these 12 players to trust one another and to play together and have fun and, you know, just build that energy and excitement around the team because everybody's new. And it's, it's not a revolving door, but, you know, they move on from 8U to 9U to 10U, and they're getting a new coach every year. And I thought it was an awesome question because a lot of us go through it. Every year we've got, you know, one, two sometimes five or six new players on the team. You know, what we like to do is on, on day number one, we sit down and we have a team meeting. So I'll introduce myself, I'll introduce my assistant coaches, go through our expectations for the season, go through our goals, go through our rules, and really just kind of build some excitement around the program, but then also kind of go around the room and get to know the players. Maybe the players introduce themselves. Maybe they talk about what other sports they play, what town they're from, you know, just to kind of get them open and, and communicating a little bit. And we always like to uh, host some sort of team building event. So for you coaches out there, it might be a pizza party. It might be a picnic. It might be a wiffle ball game. Here at the facility, we always do a Red Hawk team building night. And what we do is we get all the teams in and we'll, we'll separate them by 
by team. Let's say, you know, 9U through 13U. And we'll have six or seven different teams with six or seven team building, uh, like objectives for the night. So, you know, we'll break them up. And, and one, for instance, might be uh, the trust fall, where you have one player standing on, on, a, on a little box and he's got to close his eyes and cross his arms and he's got to fall backwards and the guys on the team have to catch him. You know, he's saying, ready to fall. Um, the, the, the guys that are getting ready, they, they tell him to fall. Number two could be uh, the magic carpet ride, we call it. We'll get a piece of tarp or we'll get a, a blanket out and all 12 kids have to stand on the blanket. And without stepping off, they have to find a way to flip that blanket over and get it to the other side without anybody else stepping off and touching the turf. If somebody steps off, they've got to restart. And, you know, finding fun ways to do that almost creates leaders because you'll start to see right away, man, that kid likes to lead. He likes to talk. And then the, the other shy ones might not say much. You know, finding things to do in the beginning of the season to kind of break the ice, icebreakers on, you know, communication, leadership, getting to know one another outside of just the baseball field is huge. It, it breaks the ice, and, and, and we find that the kids love it. And, you know, they get, to, they get out to that first practice, and they know everybody already. Another thing that pops into my head is, uh, you know, practice together outside of regular practice time. So you can schedule, and we do this with our teams. Hey, you have a six to seven hitting session next week, and there's no coaches. And the players just go themselves, and they talk themselves. They break up the cage. They flip to each other. They throw to each other. Or they, you know, maybe it's a pitching, uh, pitchers and catchers session to where those guys are just working together and doing their thing. So it's almost like outside of the team chemistry and the, the, the whole team with coaches, it's just the players doing stuff on their own. And we also had a team bonding event that, that I remember, I think it was like six years ago, and Jack Leiter was on one of our teams, and, and Al Leiter, his dad, was every single time after a game in Florida, as soon as we knew what the schedule was like, he's like, oh, where are we, we going to go tonight? Where are we going this afternoon? So we have an afternoon game. Where are we going to go have lunch? If we had a night game, where were we going to go to dinner? And one of the dads would figure out where we were going. So the whole team would go out to dinner together. The kids all sat together. The parents all sat together. And it was like, I mean, because we had a team full of really good players from all over the place, like in, in, within our state, and we're playing together, but they didn't really know each other. By the end of that weekend, it was like I knew every kid and their parents and what they were all about. And it was just a really good way to – you know, to gel everybody together was just, hey, we just have to hang out more. The only way you're going you're gonna to get to bond as a team and know each other is to hang out more. So if you're just going to the game and leaving and going to a game and leaving, you're just, you only know each other on the field. But you need to be able to trust each other on the field, off the field, get to know about each other, you know. And especially that coach that asked us that question, he had first graders all the way up to fourth graders on the same team. So those 12 kids that Coach Steve was talking about, they were first graders to fourth graders. So you're talking not only 12 kids of different ages and abilities, but, I mean, the age discrepancy was so much that it's really hard to get a team like that to bond when you're talking about, you know, a four-year difference in age. So, you know, we kind of came up with all these ideas, and they're all really good ones. You know, get to know your kids, do the bonding events, have them set up different practice times when you're not involved so the kids can kind of hang out together. But those are some really good uh, of ways to kind of really get your team gelling. And we see, you know, we see that a lot in the fall, right? In the fall, it's such a quick season. I mean, we get together in August for tryouts. September starts the, the, the first game, and it's like September, October, by the second week in October, the season's over. So it's like by the time, if we didn't do anything, 
by the time the kids gelled, our season's over. So we need to really prep it prior to the season, during that first week hard and just all throughout trying to do some fun things to, to get them all you know, rocking and rolling together. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees just posted it uh, last week. They're at spring training, and I think the whole team went out mini-golfing. So anybody that was invited to, to, to big league camp, they all went mini-golfing for the day. So finding fun things like that to do, again, I think it, it, it really just breaks the ice. And all, all the points that Duke just made about you know going out to team dinners, <clears throat> that's the fun stuff, and that's the stuff you're going to remember. We talk every... Every almost every podcast about you know the the things that you look back on and the things you remember uh, you know as a player and Duke talks about going to get ice cream with with his with his guys. We don't remember the championships. We don't remember our batting average, the the, the highs and lows, but we remember those fun things. I remember going to Mr. Puglisi's house after every season and you know having a pool party and they were playing basketball and having fun. So those are the kind of things your your guys will always look back on and remember. Coach Steve, what was one of your uh, most memorable times at, during the coaches clinic? I mean, because we had, you know, a, a record-breaking amount of coaches, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, we, we pretty much broke up the, the ages. So it was the T-ballers, and then it was the 9s and 10s, the 11s and 12s, and then we had some high school coaches. So we had four different groups. Um, you know, what was, your, what was your best, you know, takeaway or most fun part of it? Well, it was cool because, you know, we broke into four groups. So we had our T-ball and, you know, first-year coach pitch players in one group. And then we had our minors, and then we had our majors, and then we had the older guys. And a lot of the questions I got were similar. I mean, I love the Q&A portion. Basically, I ran the hitting segment, and all four groups would rotate through me for, for a 20-minute session on hitting. I would talk about breaking down the cage. I would talk about stations, a lot of the props that I like to use. You know, a lot of the questions we get are based around how do we keep practice fun, how do I keep the kids moving? How do I have 12 kids at once and keep everybody doing something? You know, I think it's just meeting the coaches. And, and it's funny to realize that all of us go through the same struggles. We're trying to create effective practice plans. We're trying to utilize our assistant coaches. We're trying to keep it fun. You know, but the, the one message in the beginning that we always try to send is, you know, a true test of a successful season is not how many trophies you win. It's how many of your guys sign up to play again the next year. It's awesome because we run the clinics every year and you see some familiar faces and guys that have been back every single year for the last four or five years. And then you see a lot of the new moms and dads, you know, so just getting to meet them and, you know, diving into their struggles because there are struggles. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening right now, they, they go through the same things. One of my favorite parts was when I was talking in the beginning, I was getting all fired up because I was talking about how many of the coaches actually never played the game before, but yet they're coaching a game that they haven't played really. So they didn't really know how to throw or teach someone how to hit. So when I was talking in the beginning, I was like, I want you to see what it's like when we ask you to be the one that's going to demonstrate one of the drills and you don't know what you're doing and you're not going to be good at it. And you know that there's going to be 20 other coaches and parents watching you as you're getting ready to probably fail at what we're asking you to do. And I want you to think back to what the kids are going to feel like when they're on the pitcher's mound and you're screaming from the stands or from the dugout that you want them to throw a strike or you want them to hit the ball. I want you to think about what you feel like in this moment and just kind of reflect before you go crazy on them, see what it's really like and the, the pressure that you're going to feel when you're in front of 20 people and I'm asking you to uh, go fast inside, right, left timing inside of a speed ladder and see what happens. You know, so those same feelings are what they're going to feel. And I just saw a lot of them looking like, oh man, I never even thought about that. Like, you know, this is a game that's supposed to be super fun, 
But when you put a lot of pressure on somebody in that fun situ, that fun moment, it's almost not fun anymore. It's almost like now I'm so stressed out that hitting the baseball is not even what I'm thinking about. I'm just hoping that I don't strike out, and I'm hoping that my mom and dad don't yell at me and the coach doesn't go crazy. And well, that, it's not fun anymore then. So let's keep the fun in the game. And Coach Steve, myself, Coach Mike, Coach Anthony did just that. I mean, there were people smiling and laughing, and we were just doing crazy stuff. And one of the things that that I that I love about the coaches' clinics is when you start doing it and you have your station and your bucket of just tons of toys and and everything that you have in there that you you're teaching them the prep step and the fielding and all that stuff. But then as you're going through them, you get better and better at teaching it to the people that you're teaching. And so for you coaches out there, the only way to get good at this is to practice it, is to prepare for it, is to have your practice plan and all those things that that we had, I mean, we were as, as prepared as we could be, but I'll tell you what, my fourth session was 10 times better than my first session, and I knew what I was doing, Yeah, you know? I met up with a couple coaches, actually, later on in the week. You know, Saturday was our clinic. I met up with one coach on Monday and one on Tuesday. They were just in the facility having lessons, and uh, the one guy came up to me just to thank me, you know, filled me in, actually gave me a drill. It's a different variation of a drill that I do, but he said, you know, I do it, you know, adding this piece into it, and I thought it was awesome. So a coach that came in for the clinic said, I've done that drill, I've seen it, I've added this in, and now I'm going to start doing it in my lessons. I thought it was just a, you know, it's pretty cool to, you know, those guys are coming to learn from us, and I learned from him. And, you know, that was another thing we mentioned in the beginning was the importance of always trying to get better. You know, Duke and I, we're learning every single day. We're learning from each other, from the other coaches in the facility, and none of us have it all figured out. And, and the game's evolving, and we have to constantly evolve, you know, as coaches. And then the second, the second meeting I had, you know, just, just passed him in the hallway and he said, man, you for, I forget how much stuff, you know, I, I forget throughout the season. You know, I forgot how much, you know, you guys cover and I forgot about this drill and that drill. And, you know, I love coming back just as a refresher because we're creatures of habit. We fall into the same routine. Sometimes it's easy to go to the field and run the exact same practice plan. So, you know, it was just a kind of a refresher course for that guy. And he was really excited. And he's like, I can't tell you how much I learned stuff that I already knew, but just kind of you know, jog my memory a little bit. So I'll be, I'll be more prepared for this upcoming season, but it was awesome. So how about this one? So uh, we're doing the one drill and we're doing the prep step. And I was saying that when the ball hit the ground, you had to call the color. So we have this ball, it's called the vector ball and it goes red, blue, uh, red, blue, and green. So I dropped the ball and only three people were saying the color because they were afraid to get it wrong. They were afraid that they, they weren't doing it right. And then as we are doing it, I, I was kind of calling everybody out saying, these are the only three guys calling it. These are the only three guys calling it. And next thing you know, more started doing it and more started doing it, the better they got at it. And these two people were like, we're not saying anything. And I didn't, I didn't really want to pick on him, but the one guy, I'm like, how come this guy's never saying it? But the guy was colorblind. So he couldn't see the color that was hitting the ground because they all, I guess, looked the same color. So he wasn't saying anything. So after the first group, the second and third and fourth group, I was like, before I start the before I start this drill, I want to ask if anybody's colorblind going into the drill because it was something I never even thought about before. Meanwhile, and I think that sometimes that happens with us when we're trying to coach kids, we don't realize that maybe what we're doing isn't right. Maybe we're not saying something right that's or we're not saying it easy enough for the kid to understand. Then we need to evaluate and be like, okay, I need to find another way to say the same thing because this one kid's just not getting it and I need him to get it, you know? So it was just one of those things I was like, holy smokes, like things that you don't even think about sometimes. But instead of, if I would have just razzed that guy, I would have felt so embarrassed because 
you know, calling somebody out with something that it was not even something that they could even do anything about. But uh, so that was just something I was that I was thinking about that happened. I was like, man, we really gotta cover our cover ourselves when we're before we do anything. You know, really think about what we're doing when we're coaching. So thanks so much for listening. The Get Zoned In podcast. We're excited. Thanks so much, Coach Duke, Coach Steve. We'll see you next time. Dominate the day.